If you would, take your Bible and find the first book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19 this morning. We're continuing our sermon series, which we began last week, entitled Theology Matters. Last week we talked about the importance of the Scripture, the fact that the Scripture is inspired by God. It is God's revelation to man. Today I want to talk about the God of the Bible, and I want to use for a subject this morning, the man who forgot his name. Anybody ever forgotten your name? Hopefully not. Hopefully not frequently. But I want us to look at the life of the great prophet Elijah this morning, 2 Kings chapter 19. The word theology is two words. It literally means uh, the study of God. Theo is a Greek word which means God. And so when we talk about theology, we're talking about the study of God. And what you believe has everyday, real life implications for you. America, as it moves further and further away from belief in God, is seeing those everyday, real life consequences. And more and more, as the nation follows that trajectory, it will discover that life without God is no good. And so for the church, it's equally important that we know who God is, that we remember and keep him as in first place in our life. The prophet Elijah, we read here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, that he is in one of the lowest points of his life, perhaps the lowest, and the lowest point of his ministry. And we read of, of him hiding out in a cave. And so in verse 9 it says, Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. The God of hosts for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am, am left, and they seek my life to take it. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Before the Lord was passing by, a great and strong wind, rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a great blowing wind. And Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face with a mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face with a mantle, and he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit as we worship. We thank you that you have come to meet with us. And now we ask that you would speak to us by the power of your word. I ask this morning that you would anoint my lips of clay, 
to preach the word of the living God, and that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that their heart might be receptive to the word, and that this word might have lasting impact on our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The prophet Elijah bursts on the scene of human history in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. We don't know much about his life except that when he arrives on the scene, he has a message from God that demonstrated that he was indeed a man of power. He said, it will not rain, nor will there be any dew on the earth, speaking of the nation of Israel, until I give the word. And with these words, he began his ministry to Israel as a man who would call the nation back to God. They had fallen into pagan idolatry and uh, the worship of Baal, a false pagan god of the region. So his ministry would be to call the nation back to the Lord. We would find that in the, in the life of Elijah, there is a great theology. When you look at the life of Elijah, he teaches us of who God is. And we see that God is revealed in the life of Elijah, in the ministry of Elijah to the nation of Israel. First of all, as the God who controlled nature. The God who has control over the effects of this natural world. We also see that he is the God who feeds the orphan and the widow and provides for those in need in their desperate hour. We see also that he is the God who answers prayer, the God who hears the call of his children. And then in the greatest moment of his life, in chapter 18 of the book of 1 Kings, we see Elijah call down fire from heaven. And he says, let the God who answers by fire be God. And so we see that the Lord God is the God who answers by fire. In fact, Elijah's name meant Yahweh is God. A little bit more specifically, Elijah's name meant Yahweh is my God. I want you to say that with me this morning. Say, Yahweh is my God. Can we try that one more time? Yahweh is my God. The, the name Yahweh in the Bible is the highest form of the names of God. There are many names that God has revealed himself with, but the name Yahweh is the highest of those names. It literally means, or it comes from the verb to be. The name of God literally implies that God is. That God simply is. He is the, the God who is. He doesn't have a beginning, an end, a middle, a first or a last. He is, he always is, he always will be. And I want you to notice seven things about the name of God this morning as we uh, go into this message that are important for every believer to know. The first thing about the name of God is what I have mentioned just now, is that the name of God implies that God exists. The name uh, Yahweh means God is. God exists. You and I live in a world where there is a constant denial of the existence of God. And there are many who try to disprove the existence of God. But the Bible doesn't begin trying to prove the existence of God. It simply tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It tells us that before the mountains were formed or the earth had been born, that he was the everlasting God. And so the God of the Bible is a God 
who is. Sometimes my students ask me, they say, Pastor Isaac, who made God? And the answer is simple. No one made God. If God had been made by something or someone, then that something or someone would be God. But God has no maker. He is God all by himself. The second implication of the name of the Lord is that no one and nothing created God. He is not the result of man's imagination. He is not the result of religious ideas. He does not have to pay rent to anybody. God doesn't learn anything from anyone. He will never have to borrow anything. He is before all things. He is above all things. And he will be after all things. Nothing and no one made God. Number three, God does not change. The name of God implies to us that we have a God who is immutable. That means he is unchanging in his essence. You know, you and I are subject to change. We're changing all the time. While you sit in this service, you and I are changing. We are getting older. I wish I could say we're getting younger, but we're getting older. And every minute that passes by, we are changing. Sometimes those changes are subtle. Sometimes they're very obvious. But they are the constant reality of human life. However, with God... God is the unchanging God. Micah chapter 3 verse 6 tells us that the Lord is uh, unchanging, therefore we are not consumed. You see what this means is simply this, that God is not changing his opinions, his tastes, or his preference with regard to anything at all, ever. The Bible said he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Say amen somebody. That means that if he was holy yesterday, he is holy today. If he was righteous yesterday, he is righteous today. If he was faithful yesterday, he will be faithful today. And his standards do not change and they do not conform to the times. Oh, how people want to conform God to the times. But God is not conformed to the times. God is above them and he is unchanging in his nature. And this is a really good thing. I know that maybe when you hear that you think, oh man, that means I can't, I can't change God's mind. I can't really get God to budge. But here's the thing. If you and I had a changing God, there would be nothing consistent in our world. Imagine if next Sunday you came to church and I said, you know what, God changed his mind. It's no longer the tithe, it's now the 20th, all right? And, I, and then the week after that, I said, you know what, God changed his mind about, about the, that. He doesn't want that anymore, he wants this. And there would be a constant confusion in our world. There would be no consistency in the order of nature. The rising and the setting of the sun would be mutable. But because God is unchanging, then we can count on God. Say amen, somebody. Because God does not change, then what he said yesterday still stands today, and it will stand forever. Number four, God is inexhaustible as a source of life. God is the inexhaustible source. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. God is inexhaustible. He doesn't get tired. 
He doesn't get tired of hearing prayer, and he doesn't get tired of answering prayer. He doesn't get tired of saving the lost. He doesn't get tired of cleansing sinners. He doesn't get tired of healing the sick. Come on, somebody. Our God is the inexhaustible source of life. Number five, he, and this is important for us to understand, that God is God whether you believe in him or not. You know, that if nobody showed up to church this morning, if nobody showed up to worship God, if no one came to the house of prayer to pray, if no one came to the pulpit to preach, God would still be God. You can, you can cross your arms and, and cringe your face and say, I'm not going to worship God anymore. I don't even believe in God. And God doesn't, doesn't lose any power or strength by you doing that. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, if you don't worship him, the very rocks will cry out. The mountains will worship him. The stars will worship him. Come on, somebody. He's God whether you believe in him or not. Number six, and this one perhaps is the most difficult for men to accept, but this is the absolute truth, that we must submit to God God does not submit to us. You know, children are to submit to their parents. Say amen, somebody. And players on the ball field submit to their coaches. And soldiers on the battlefield submit to their general. And creatures submit to their creator. This is why the atheist wants to challenge the existence of God. It's not so much that they don't like the fact that God made them. The problem of the atheist is not with God having made them. The problem is that God makes the rules. They don't want to submit to the rule and authority of God. And so they challenge the existence of God. But you see, friends, if you want to live a life under the blessing of God, then you have to submit to the authority and the will of God. And to forsake that authority and that will brings eternal consequences to the soul of man. Seventh and final here is that the name of God is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus is Yahweh? In the Old Testament, we see God revealed himself to Moses as I am that I am. And now in the New Testament, in John chapter 8, we read Jesus saying, I am. He's taking for himself the title of Yahweh. And when the, when the Pharisees challenged him on this point, he said to them, before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming that he was the God of the Old Testament. You see, the God that we serve is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he is revealed in bodily form in the person of Jesus Christ, whom you and I worship and serve. He is our Savior and He is our returning King. Elijah's name was a sermon all by itself. It meant, Elijah meant, Yahweh is my God. Say it again, Yahweh is my God. Now, in chapter 18 of Elijah's, uh, pardon, of chapter 19, of, Eli of 1 King, Elijah's ministry falls off the rails. He has just come out of the highest point of his ministry in chapter 18. In chapter 18, he challenged the false teachers of his day. He challenged the idol worshipers and the priests of Baal. 
he said to them, let's go to the Mount Carmel. And on Mount Carmel we will build two altars. And we will ask our God to send fire upon the altar. And the God who sends fire, he will be God. Well, the Baal worshipers prayed all morning long. And their God never did send fire. And finally, when uh, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Elijah said, all right, guys, you tried long enough. Let me pray now. And so he prayed a simple prayer. And the Bible said that the Lord God, Yahweh, sent fire from heaven upon that altar. Then Elijah, full of the zeal of God, took those 400 prophets and executed them on the spot. This guy was bad, bad to the bone. All right, but then he got an email from the queen of Israel. The queen, name, her name was Jezebel. She said, Elijah, so be it unto me. If you are not like those prophets by this time tomorrow. She said, Elijah, I am going to have your head. And Elijah and his power and his authority fell right out of his life. Why? Because for that moment, the prophet of God forgot his name. He forgot that God was his God, that Yahweh was his God. And we really can't blame Elijah, can we? Because all of us have been in a similar place as he was. All of us, when faced with the threat of adversity, have sometimes forgotten who we are in Christ. Many of us, when challenged by sickness or disease or a legal matter or the condition of a loved one, have forgotten our name. We have forgotten our God. Maybe we've even forgotten our theology. And so Elijah ran for his life. He ran for the hills. The Bible said that he traveled about a day to get away from Queen Jezebel. And he found a little place to rest and he slept there for a while. And the, the prophet on the run was awoken by the angel of the Lord. He was awoken by a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And the Lord, when Elijah woke up, there was a fire and the Lord was cooking for him. Wouldn't you like to have the Lord wake you up one morning and have breakfast in bed? He said, Elijah, you need to eat because you have a long journey ahead of you. And Elijah went back to sleep. And so the Lord woke him up again. He said, Elijah, you need to eat. Because you have a long journey ahead of you. And so Elijah ate that bread and he drank that water. And the Bible said that he went in the strength of that meal for 40 days. I don't know about you, but I've never eaten a lunch that lasted me for 40 days. That's how long the word and the, the meal that God provided for Elijah was. And so he went to Mount Oreb, the same mountain where, where Moses had seen the burning bush. And had received the commandments of the Lord. He went to that mountain and he found a cave. And he backed himself into that cave so that he can sulk and be depressed and discouraged and afraid for his life. And there we see three things that have happened in the life of Elijah. Which happen in our life from time to time. The first thing we see is this. That Elijah allowed his disappointments to redefine his theology. Now, you and I are, are tempted at times to do this. We're allowed to, uh, we are, uh, pardon, we are often able to, uh, uh, we allow our disappointments to, to redefine what we believe about God. 
Why was Elijah disappointed? Well, he was disappointed because God hadn't done things the way he expected it. I think Elijah expected to be uh, the leader of a national revival that would lead to national reform. He probably expected to get a card in the mail from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel saying, we want you to come over to the house for dinner. We want to uh, congratulate you for bringing us back to God. But instead, he got a letter calling for his head. And so it is many times that we don't get what we expected from God or we get something that comes in a way that we did not expect. And our disappointments and our disillusionment causes us to redefine what we believe about God. But can I tell you, friend, your disappointments and your disillusionment are not sound theology. There is a God who is greater than your disappointments. There is a God who is greater than your disillusionment. In fact, listen now, this is so, so sweet and yet so important that God often does this. Often God works in a way that you and I did not plan so that he can cast down the gods of our idolatry. You see, we set up ideas in our mind about what, at what things are going to happen, how they're going to happen, how they're going to work. We make plans and we ask God to bless them. And God in his grace says, no, son, no, daughter, I can't do it your way because your way is below my way. Your way is small. Your way is limited to your perspective. I have a divine agenda. I have a better way. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my plans above your plans. The second thing that happened in Elijah's life was that he allowed his circumstances to cloud his view of God. Basically, Elijah thought he was alone. And twice in the text we read that he says, I am alone. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought to yourself, I am alone. I have nobody to fight with me. I have nobody who understands. I have nobody who knows what I am going through. Friend, Elijah allowed his circumstances to block his view of God. He began to think that he was alone because he looked around and he couldn't see any other prophets. He looked around and no one else was having their life threatened. He looked around and he couldn't see the hand of God. And so the fact that Jezebel was chasing him didn't mean that God had lost control, but that's how it felt to him. Can I tell you, friend, your circumstances don't define God's reality. Elijah felt alone, but he was not alone. He was guarded by the almighty God, the God of heaven and earth, the God who we sang about this morning, who is the God who fights for you, the God who defends you, the God who is your strength and your, your authority in the day of trouble. By no means had Elijah been left alone, and yet by his natural eye, he felt alone. Maybe this morning you feel alone. Maybe you feel like there's no one that understands. Maybe you seem to think that nobody can get you through the trouble that you're in. Can I tell you, friend, Yahweh is your God. You are not alone. He is there. He is present. And he will show himself strong on behalf of you if you believe. Third thing that happened to Elijah was that he allowed 
his mortality to blind him to the power of God. When Jezebel said to him, I am going to do to you what you did to those prophets. I am going to decapitate you, Elijah. Elijah came face to face with the reality that he was going to die. You know, I, I imagine that when he's up there and he's executing those 400 prophets, Elijah must have felt invincible. He must have felt like he had this thing under control. But now all of a sudden, he is reminded that he is a mortal man and that he is going to die. And so his, his, uh, uh, his sense of mortality causes him to run. It causes him to run for his life. I'm sure this has happened to us from time to time. When you're in a, car, when you're in a near fatal car accident or you see your life flash before your eyes, you're reminded, I'm mortal. I'm not going to live forever. Or maybe you go to a funeral of a friend or loved one, and you're sitting there in that funeral, and then the thought comes to mind, uh-oh, I'm older than they are. And your mortality comes to mind. Or maybe you get a call from the doctor's office, and they tell you, we have your lab results. We need you to come to the office as soon as possible. And you start wondering, what could this mean? You're reminded that you are but mortal and that someday death will come. We're reminded from time to time that this life is quick and it is fleeting and it is short. And that these 70 or 80 years, if by strength, are but a moment in view of eternity. And we're reminded of our own mortality. You see, there's another kind of mortality as well that we're reminded of. When we look at ourselves in the mirror and we see the deadness of our flesh and the inability of this carnal man to do the will of God, we're reminded of the deadness of the nature of sin that lies within us. We're reminded of our own mortality. But you see, while all of those things might have been true in Elijah's life, he was a mortal man. But he forgot that he served an immortal God. That he served a God who was eternal and infinite. Who had no beginning and no end. A God who was able to give him life. And a God who was able to preserve his life. Elijah forgot who he was. He forgot that his God was the maker of the heavens and the earth. The God who exists beyond death. Can I tell you friend that someday there is coming a day of death and separation from this life. But let me tell you, if you be in Christ, you need not fear death. For God has conquered the grave and conquered death. And he has conquered even the flesh. And has given you the power of eternal life. Elijah had forgotten who his God was. He had forgotten his name. His circumstances and his mortality were staring him in the face. And he was afraid. But I'm glad this morning that our God visits us in the cave. Have you ever been in a cave? Maybe it wasn't a cave. Maybe it was your bedroom with all the curtains drawn and the blanket over your head, the tears in your eyes. You wonder, where is God now? Maybe you have looked at your life and you have seen the tunnel at the end of the light. 
And like Elijah, you've gone to a cave to hide. But let me tell you this morning, our God will come to the cave. In fact, he was in the cave before you got there. He was in the cave when you got there. He's sitting in the cave with you. And he's going to be in the cave walking out with you. Because this will not be the end for Elijah. And this will not be the end for you. He comes into that cave. And God is articulate. He says one word in the Hebrew. God can preach a sermon with one word. How you know I'm not God. I'm, God can preach one whole sermon with one word. He comes into the cave and he just simply says this. Elijah. What was he saying? He was saying, I am your God. And Elijah says, oh. Lord, you don't understand that I've been very zealous for you. I've been preaching my heart out. I have been telling this nation that they need to repent. And I'm the last prophet standing. And now they're trying to kill, take my life too. And he just said, Elijah, I am your God. This morning, God has this simple message for you. He says to you this morning, I am your God. Yahweh is your God. He says to you with that one word. He's saying to Elijah, Elijah, your disappointments are not bigger than me. Your circumstances are not bigger than me. Your mortality is not bigger than me. I am your God. Yahweh is my God. You know, Elijah was running for his life. He was afraid for his life. He didn't want to die by Jezebel's sword. And yet, Elijah is still alive today. Four thousand five hundred or so years later, Elijah still hasn't died. What do you mean, preacher? I mean, God set him up. He gave him a chariot ride into heaven. The man never had a funeral. There's a man today named Elijah in heaven who was afraid to die. And he has yet to die. What, was, what is God saying to us today? That you and I might seem we're limited by our perspective. And we're limited by what we can do and what we can see. But God is not limited in his power or his authority over our life. And he wants you to know this morning, Yahweh is your God. He wants you to go out of here and he wants you to face the giants that you face this morning. And say, Yahweh is my God. Go and look at that stack of bills you think you can't pay. Just say, Yahweh is my God. That means Yahweh is my provider. Yahweh is my supply. Yahweh is my source. Go and look at that 
at that report from your doctor and just know that Yahweh is your God. Go and look at that report from the lawyer and know that Yahweh is your God. And friend, go now and look at the sin within your heart and know that Yahweh is your God and that Jesus, his son, has made an end of sin through the blood of his cross if you will walk by faith in him. Bible said that God had for Elijah still work to do. He sent him to anoint three kings or two kings and the prophet. And Elijah would be a memorial to us that God keeps his word. Would you say it with me one more time? Yahweh is my God. Would you stand with me please as we pray? Father, our hearts are prone to wander. Our minds are prone to forget who you are and what you've revealed about yourself. But this morning, we are reminded that Yahweh is my God. And I pray that this, the truth conveyed in those words will sink deep into the heart of your church this morning. That they might face whatever obstacle they might confront today with faith. We ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to make two invitations this morning. The first one is to anyone in this room who would say this morning, preacher, I really can't say that Yahweh is my God because I've never given my life to him. I've never asked him to save me, to change me. This morning, God wants to be your God. He wants you to know him personally. You see, it's not enough to know God by your mama's God or your daddy's God or your grandfather's God. You need to know him personally. And the only way to know God is to come to, to Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. And so this morning, if you want to be able to say God is my God, Yahweh is my God, you need to have Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sin. He shed his blood to wash away the sin of those who come to him by faith. And so this morning, if there's anyone in here that would say, Pastor Isaac, I want to know God personally. I want to know God for myself. I want to begin a relationship with God today. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want to give you this invitation to say yes to God. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, I want to begin a relationship with God this morning. Would you just raise your hand right where you are, if that's you. If you say, I want to know God for myself. I want to know him personally as my Savior and as my Lord. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you are. The second invitation is going to be to the whole body of Christ. This morning, would you just come into this altar and make that confession that Elijah's name made and just say, Lord, 
you're my God. I trust you. I believe in you. And just tell him, Lord, remove anything that would cloud my vision from seeing you for who you are. Remove anything that would cloud my vision from knowing that you are in control of my days and that my life is in your hands. Would you come this morning as we come to the Lord in faith? Just bring to him your faith and your confidence in who he is and the power of his name. The power of his word. Yahweh is my God. And my God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine.